the work that Will's doing really, really inspires me um, to still be helping further the military's mission and be in the technical space. If you think about technologies developed in a government lab or just tech developed anywhere in the U.S., um, and then application space in the government, which includes the military and the DOD, and then application space in the civilian commercial sphere, even globally, we have programs that do everything. Welcome to Tough Tech Today with Mayan and Miller. This is the premier show featuring trailblazers who are building technologies today to solve tomorrow's toughest challenges. Welcome to this episode of Tough Tech Today. Today we will be talking with Will Dixon and Trinity Torres from FedTech. I know Will Dixon from his days in the Boston startup community. He graduated from MIT in material science, spent some time in Michigan working for GM, and came back to Boston to hang out in the Boston startup community. And recently, a year ago, he left and joined FedTech. And we also have Trinity. Uh, Trinity is from William and Mary, and she, where there, she studied public policy and psychology. Then that, that led her down the path of corporate strategy in the hospitality industry, um, where she had worked for Hilton and got involved in sort of the technical and entrepreneurial scene. And that's led her to where her, her present position as a, a new incoming fellow with FedTech. Welcome, Will. Welcome, Trinity. Awesome. Great to be here. So it would be really helpful to give a, a context for our audience in terms of uh, FedTech and the orbit that it operates in. Could you could you open up for us, Will, on that? Yeah, definitely. I think it's 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 a really unique one that I frankly, you know, unless I think you are somehow funded or working with the government, it, it's out of most people's minds. But at FedTech, we sit at the intersection of entrepreneurship, breakthrough technologies, and the U.S. government, both in the spin-out and the spin-in model. So our biggest product today, which we run for many years now, we call our startup studio. And through this one, we've worked with 40 plus federal labs. So NASA, think Army Research Lab, Air Force Research Lab, a lot of the Department of Energy labs as well. And we work with these federal, uh, federal labs here to take that technology and commercialize it through entrepreneurship. So a little bit different tech transfer model. And to date, I think we've formed over 190 teams and spun out 50 to 60 companies, um, you know, startups that are seeded with this awesome federal IP, license it to the startup and, you know, go expand and make a big impact. Um, so that, that's kind of our biggest program. The second one that we run in which I get to lead is our custom accelerators program. And today we run this, uh, interestingly, in partnership with the Department of Defense and the Department of Energy for two different programs and a few other ones here and there. But through the custom accelerators, more of a spin in, right? We're finding those non-traditional breakthrough technology startups that have some sort of application in one of those organizations, but also represent a major opportunity just in the commercial space to commercialize some really cool deep tech, tough tech, breakthrough technology ventures. Um, and we run these custom accelerator programs on average between three to six months, and it involves a lot of custom educational programming for onboarding. You know, coming from General Motors, I understand that there's a lot of times huge disconnect between a startup and a large organization that wants to partner with them versus the traditional venture model, which is, hey, go make your pitch, you can sign a term sheet in, in a month or two. Um, you know, onboarding to a large organization, very difficult. So a lot of the roots for the accelerator program are rooted in that sort of unique perspective. But of course, we do a lot of the other business development stuff for these startups as well. And being an engineer myself, a lot of empathy for technical founders and, you know, for these deep tech ventures, almost all the founders are technical founders across the U.S. And then our two, our two awesome. final portfolios at FedTech, uh, we do some light tech scouting from our unique perspective in this advanced federal R&D engineering space, as well as internal innovation training, where we apply the lessons learned from you know coaching and working with entrepreneurs in the deep tech space to really large organizations, either the executive level or just portfolio program managers or senior scientists who are looking to be a little bit more lean in their thinking and apply some of the lessons of entrepreneurship. And Trinity, you just joined FedTech as part of a program. Can you explain exactly what you're doing? Yes, yeah, so this is week two for me, so um, have jumped in full force. Um, so FedTech has been rapidly expanding. Um, I think, Will, you mentioned that a year ago, you were one of five people, and now I think the team's around 15 or 16. Um, so what they've been doing as they continue to scale is doing a three-month fellowship program uh, where you kind of jump in and you work in the different areas of the business. Um, so I'm going to be handling most of the marketing and communications pieces, but also working with our startup studios. Um, 
Yeah, so it's a three-month program. So the FedTech program, it, it is, um, as I understand it, so it's an accelerator, right? And then the, could you walk us through the, the demographics um, of the, the types of participants that you've been seeing so far over the, over the, uh, the cycles? Yeah, so it, it's, it's really diverse, which is something that makes me really proud. Not only diverse in people's background, but just location. You know, coming from the Boston ecosystem, seeing the value of that close-knit, physically geographic-centered community, most of our participants come from all over the U.S. And most of our programming, even before COVID, was already 80% virtual to enable really anybody to help st to start or launch one of these deep tech ventures. Um, but I think the demographic we work with for aspiring entrepreneurs, right, because the startup studio is pre-company pre formation. And so we're working with entrepreneurs that a little bit more seasoned. These aren't all just recent college grads, like the traditional sexy startup founder. Um, you know, these are people with, with a lot of professional experience looking to take the next step in the entrepreneurship world, but don't really have that technology background or just the seed of cool tech to start a company around. And so that's a really unique, you know, again, we have people who are either currently professionals at large corporates, we have researchers, um, you know, we even have, you know, people who've gotten out of the professional world for a few years, quasi retired, wanting to come back in through entrepreneurship. And then the, the demographic across our accelerators program, right, which we start with existing startups and help accelerate them into specific markets, primarily the DOD and DOE. For that one, the demographic, again, is it's a mostly technical team, technical founder, someone who's done research postdoc for many years, you know, stumbled upon some amazing breakthrough technology discovery. And especially in the, in the government got, you know, maybe a phase one um, SBIR program or something where some little seed funding from the government, but really doesn't know how to take it to the next step and do that technology transition. Um, but again, national, we, you know, working with startups from all over the United States, all type of tech verticals as well. Um, we, at FedTech, we work across everything. In, in the current accelerator cohort for the Army I'm running right now, we have two biotech companies, multiple wireless communications, machine learning companies, material science innovations, um, one or two other just fundamental physics breakthroughs. So really fascinating. As a, as a previous engineer, um, that, that's what gets me up every day is like, this is really cool tech that we're helping make an impact in the world. So for the startup studio, you mentioned that you're taking technologies and from the government IP and allowing entrepreneurs to figure out how to commercialize it. How do you get that chest of IP to offer to the startups? Like, is there a lab that you've partnered with that has particularly suggested something? Or is there just like a catalog and you pick something out? Yeah, it, that's, it's, that is actually a fascinating question to solve is what IP is able to be commercialized? Right. So we have an awesome team within FedTech led by a guy who's awesome. He's actually the, I think, the third most tenured employee at FedTech now. Um, but he leads our tech scouting. So our process is we develop these really strong relationships with the labs. There are some public forums where labs will publish, hey, here's a patent we filed recently. Um, you know, if anyone wants to license it, talk to us. But we go a little bit deeper, really get to know the scientists doing the forefront research and then you know, try to do our analysis of whether something's ready, right? There's a lot of factors about whether or not this tech is ready when we're building, you know, building our chest per se. Um, but you know, we're looking at, is there, you know, do we think that there's at least a few markets out there for it? Um, is it at a high, high enough technology readiness level where you know, if, if we pair it up with an entrepreneur, they're not just gonna be forced to do four more years of research to get it to an engineering thing. Um, and also just, you know, the, 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 the demographic of that scientist engineer, right, is, is are these engineers in the federal space, these researchers excited about the potential to commercialize their technology because they're such an integral piece of the, the team. You know, most times they don't join the founding team, but to have that technical advisor who, you know, can help demystify things, clarify things, provide a little feedback, feedback on kind of what the realm of the possible is for different tech is an immense thing. Mm -hmm. So it is a complicated process and I'm not sure there's one answer. We've taken a spin, but um, developed a lot of strong relationships with, you know, some examples of the labs. Na like I said, um, NASA, Los Alamos National Lab, um, Sandia, um, all the Department of Defense labs. Um, we run a program with um, NSIN uh, for that one, but really great diverse group of labs across the U.S. that all have really cool tech that can make an impact in the world via entrepreneurship. Can you walk us through an example of like a specific piece of technology and tell us the story about, you know, how, how that worked out with the, the, the founders in the startup studio? 
Yeah, yeah, there's, I mean, and it's a material science innovation, so of course I love that one. <laughs> um, but, but one of the cool ones, I know the name, the name is actually escaping me right now, but the, we started with a lab technology from one of the Naval Research Labs. And the technology was around this glass foam material, right? So as material scientists has some pretty interesting properties, potentially for, you know, unique buoyancy, buoyancy properties compared, you know, as well as lightweight and, you know, volumetric uh, manufacturing capability. But the researcher had done a, some proof of concepts of the tech, characterized it, but, you know, kind of stopped. It was kind of on the shelf. They weren't, there, there were no obvious applications to take it to the next step. So through the Startup Studio program, we recruited these awesome founders. I think they both had technical degrees and were in MBA programs or, you know, business savvy people. Did a ton of customer discovery. That's really the core tenant of our program. So they interviewed all types of customers, you know, and, and most of our, over the eight weeks, most of our, you know, these entrepreneur teams, they do between 50 and 100 customer discovery interviews, right? So this is the secret sauce that big corporations don't have and don't have time for. So we're, we're empowering them to do that. And they found this interesting application actually back in the Navy for underwater, um, I, don't, I forget what it's, you, you something, you know, um, underwater unmanned vehicle systems. Um, and they, they took the tech, they successfully, you know, demonstrated there was a market for it, licensed the technology from the lab, won some early government contracts for startups to develop that tech a little bit more. And, you know, instead of it just being in a test tube, developed it to a bigger scale where they could actually do proof of concept demonstrations for full, you know, small vehicle and, and underwater drone applications. And now they actually sell their product, right, which is an iteration of the initial technology back into the Navy. And, and that story to me is one of the most powerful ones because it just shows that the, the entrepreneurship and startup journey in the deep tech space is so unpredictable and nonlinear that you really, you know, by empowering entrepreneurs to do the non-scalable customer discovery, take risks, you know, like do everything that a federal lab really is not in the right position to do, they're going to, they might find an application or a market for it that was initially just not even thought of. So I think that to me, that's one of the most powerful stories we've had so far in the material science space. So obviously proud of that one. Uh, that's really interesting, Will. And, and so now I, that's uh, what's something I'm curious about then uh, with, with, with you, Trinity, where uh, you have a background that I guess you may be safe to say that was generally non-technical and, and in hospitality, yes. um, which is perhaps sufficiently different from, you know, a deep sort of underwater <laughs> material science play. So could you talk through us what what some of the the attraction to to joining FedTech and then um, and then we go into some how where I think that the skills that you bring would be sort of absolutely complementary to some of these deeply technical sort of engineering driven um, use cases. No, it is definitely a, a career pivot. Um, when I was in undergrad, I was loosely involved in the entrepreneurship center. I had worked um, actually on uh, artificial intelligence. Um, student like aid uh, and never we pitched it um, it didn't continue on but kind of was like that was my first opportunity to kind of be a little bit in the tech space um, and help build out more of the marketing and um, our pitch deck uh, then I went graduated went to hospitality but when I was furloughed I was so bored and I was trying to figure out what to do and I ended up getting brought into um, a student startup called Dive that's based out of Austin Texas uh, which was designing a um, app that's an alternative to GroupMe, which is a popular app on campuses as like a communications app. And that really reminded me of how much I love the technical space, how much I love entrepreneurship, and how much I loved being a part of a small team where you can really try your hand at a lot of different things. Um, so I stopped applying for big corporations and started looking at the DC technical space. And that led me to finding FedTech and finding the fellowship program. Um, and I, as soon as I talked to Ben, I had an initial screening call. I really fell in love with the mission of FedTech. Uh, my background is military, um, come from three generations of military. And so even the work that Will's doing really, really inspires me um, to still be helping further the military's mission and be in the technical space. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's a yeah, fascinating uh, history in that in that so that military uh, you know a affiliation say then um, going back to on terms of how FedTech is structured that these this would be sort of technologies that are generated on taxpayer dollars right as part of as part of the normal sort of acquisitions process of of new technologies new capabilities 
right? And so now <laughs> FedTech has that, is in position to be able to say, okay, these patents or, or portfolio is underutilized or not commercialized, and it's sort of up up for the for the taking or up for the licensing, right? To be able to then say, okay, well, we're gonna add entrepreneurs, engineers, et cetera, to get it, um, increase the TRL level, and then see if there is a, a marketable opportunity there. Is that is that the general approach? Yeah, I think maybe clarifying because we, we have, a, a, a and it's, it's all again, like the company's grown, it's, it's been so awesome to ride this wave, but um, you know, we, we, it's, there's, we have a lot of different ways to think about it. So if you think about technologies developed in a government lab or just tech developed anywhere in the US, um, and then application space in the government, which includes the military and the DOD, and then application space in the civilian commercial sphere, even globally, we have programs that do everything, right? We spin out we spin out tech from the federal labs to go to commercial. We spin out tech to go back into the military applications. We'll take tech that wasn't developed in the federal labs, not on taxpayer dollars, and you know, align it into those military applications, you know, with really rapid tech transition things. So that's a that's probably the way I like to think about yeah, it. Yeah, so you're you're talking about like the your accelerator program is like the opposite direction, right? You got the technical exactly, yeah. person and, and coming in and, and they just, spin. they don't know what to do to get the stuff to market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it's not always, you know, a lot of the founders are, are previously successful in the accelerator program. Some are doing a few million in revenue each year, um, but they've stumbled upon, you know, this hypothesis that they have that, hey, you know, and it's, again, it, it's to me very different from the venture space, right? Where it's really every decision is predicated on, is there a billion dollar market and do I have a chance to win in it, Right. Um, whereas the military one is much more mission driven, um, and it's interesting to compare and contrast those. And, and we, you know, we, we we provide all those options to our the participants of our programs. But um, a lot of the, you know, they're they're very successful, but they stumbled upon they, you know, they applied to a prize competition, went to an industry day with the military, and they say, hey, like my, you know, my tracking technology, you know, then maybe there's a pain point in the military that I can help solve as well. Um, so it's not always that they're just technical founders without business skills. A lot of times it, they're trying to enter a new market and understand, you know, frankly, a, an extremely complex regulatory environment that you have to sell and do business in. So do you find a lot of the founders are, are also mission driven? Like they really have a strong desire to maybe serve the United States or, um, or are they just primarily looking for a place to, to give them some, you know, equity free capital as they develop the technology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, I, I, that's, that's usually the biggest selling point we have is like, Hey, let us help you access this non-dilutive capital to help commercialize technologies. Um, but it varies. Yeah. A lot of them are mission driven. Um, and I'll clarify, I mean, all the programs that we work on today, they're very, I don't think even really there are any that are really enabling the, the type of lethal force that you, you, you might think about when you think about military, a lot of them are just life-saving and kind of, you know, operations optimization technologies. Well, what inspires me is some of these founders, one of them in our previous cohort, um, he's developed this nanoparticle-based blood clotting accelerant. Um, and he's, he's stumbled upon a biomarker that is really tied to clotting acceleration versus clotting initiation. And, you know, he developed this in his lab, you know, not, not primarily thinking of military applications. And, you know, through the X-Tech search program with the Army, and we support that with the Accelerator Forum, he, you know, he then was able to quantify how many deaths on the battlefield are there from, um, you know, core bleeds that you can't do a tourniquet around, right? You need something that's room temperature stable, you can inject that helps, you know, stop the bleeding until you can get to an ER. And in something like that, right, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, the, the, the scary stuff you talk about, but it's life-saving technology that has drastic implications both in the military and outside of the military. Okay. Now, what, now one of the, the, the knocks on working with the federal government, of course, is, you know, how slow it often is and that a lot of, you know, startups, you know, run out of runway before they even get a contract in hand with the military. Um, is there ways that you can help with that or is that just a, you know, a barrier that, that is going to prevent a lot of companies from working with the U S government? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, I think you've hit the nail on the head and, and if, if, if anyone that lives in this space, maybe a quick, you know, overview of what the, the especially we'll say the defense department, defense department, because that's happens to be the ecosystem we play in a lot with our accelerators, but even the DOD, you know, is representing, you know, some of the advanced stuff that they do with the government, um, they realize this, you know, and so the U.S. Air Force has this AFWORKS program that will 
that will award contracts very rapidly with just a, a pitch deck, you know, and, and give you the chance to, to figure out the market within the military. The Army has this X-Tech search program, and they've run an innovation combine program, different iterations of open topic versus closed topic, that, you know, gives actually prize money. So that's, you know, there's, there's no strings attached. You can use that for vacation if you wanted to. Um, but, you know, they give prize money to incent, you know, to help fill these little gaps in government contracting while people figure it out. Just, you know, realizing it is difficult to, to figure out, even, you know, even with our help, sometimes it's just they're mythical creatures um, in terms of working with the government. And then the Navy's taking a different approach with Naval X, um, you know, looking at the, you know, regional spokes model to, to really just help spend time with entrepreneurs. And then at the higher level, the, the last big one, Defense Innovation Unit at the DOD level, they, they have done a great job of going and finding the problem sets within the military, translating them, getting the money ready to go so that when a startup comes and proves that they can solve a problem, you can inject a ton of cash. You know, we're talking in the tens, hundreds of millions of dollars into a viable startup that can take something to the next level. So it, it is difficult, but um, I think one other thing to add to your original question about just the federal space being very slow to work with, um, we try to take a very holistic approach to every funding source a small business could use, right? And you, and you do kind of start with that. Is it, is it a worthwhile investment for your time, money, impact, and measure that stuff first? But you know, can you fill in with some venture capital dollars? Can you work with a strategic partner that gives you non-financial resources, you know, like someone who's going to do some testing for you or using a machine that you would have had to pay a lot of money for? Um, can we plug that in to cross these different valleys of death? Um, and even partnering with other startups. That's an exciting one. I think we've seen very recently a lot, you know, these these innovation programs that we run are getting big enough where we got company X doing this thing that dovetails perfectly with company Y We'll introduce them, and they're like, "Man, we're going to go after these bigger contracts together." Um, I mean, it's absolutely right that that there's a saying that the there's a, that the government is slow to buy and slow to stop buying. So, you know, once you get the, those <laughs> wheels turning, then then there's some, some sort of a you know figurative inertia that is can be really beneficial to um, a small or large company that starts to get as part of the those larger uh, sort of acquisition contracts. Now, some of this discussion strikes me as it, it sounds like. It could be perceived that, hey, anyone can do this. This is this is it's difficult, but you know, any we could bring anybody in to to do this kind of um, taking technology or inventing one and then getting it commercialized. But that we know that it's it's quite difficult. Um, and so, uh, you know, Trudy, with your your focus on like marketing communications, how might we be able to sort of walk that line between saying, yeah, we need a lot of different voices in the room to be able to get that diverse thinking. Yet, this is this is difficult work. Yeah, I definitely think um, we we'll can fill in some gaps here. But from even the initial conversations I've been a part of, I think what we're really looking for is people is what we really try to do is match up people with the background with the technology, right? We want the teams to be successful. We want people to come in with at least some technical knowledge um, of the invention. So I think that's something that FedTech has really been trying to do. And they look at personality aspects as well and team dynamics, right? Because you're matching different people from all across the nation together. Um, well, I'm sure you can elaborate more on that too. Yeah. I mean, even I think that maybe the core waterline you got to be above to access a lot of these opportunities you got to be a, a you know a, a real deep tech tough tech startup you know like the, the the government doesn't fund apps for cats or new grocery delivery models um they they fund deep technology ventures under the hypothesis that by playing a major role in that you know because it takes time because it's a non-linear pathway they're going to you know raise the tide for everybody at the end of the day so maybe that's the number one thing is you got to be working on something that really is a, a deep tough tech whatever you want to call it type venture um, and then like Trinity was saying, you know, the background and willingness to learn and adapt, um, you know, some of the least successful entrepreneurs we've worked with are people who maybe have a little too much confidence. They're like, Hey, I'm, I'm from the venture world. I know what I'm doing. You know, I don't, I don't really need your help. Just make me an intro. We find those people just don't win contracts, you know, and they, they don't understand the system. They miss out on opportunities. So I think the, the personnel and, you know, being open to diverse opinions and feedback from people from our network 
is is a major one as well in terms of, you know, are you ready to access both the market, which is a great business opportunity, but also just to access the resources that are available to elevate the, the deep tech, tough tech um, ecosystem in the U.S. That's an important uh, so designation there in terms of like um, the uh, like FedTech's uh, perception of a deep tech or, or tough tech kind of company. Um, for, for us, it's sort of like viewed as well, if it's if it's not an app, would you know something tough tech would probably not be an app, and moreover, it's probably something that's difficult to to Google to type in like you know what is blah um, that it's not just there's a bunch of hits on that that you got to really sort of dig into it. Do you have a does FedTech have uh, somewhat of a definition around that? Um, the, that type of technology and what that threshold is. We could talk for hours about what that definition may or may not be. Um, <laughs> because it, I mean, there's a lot of ways to skin it, right? Is it tough because the path to market is tough and undefined? Is it tough because it took some you know team of super smart people 10 years to develop? Is it tough because it's just something no one understands yet? A um, lot, lot of ways to skin it. But for me, it, it's really something that requires, you know, a, a, a deep knowledge, you know, on the business, the business axis of going to market with something, growing, growing a team, turning tech into a product, it requires not only just the MBA skills, you know, the, hey, you know, how do we do accounting and legal and, you know, market strategy, but, you know, how do we contextualize it to something that may take a year or two to develop? You know, like, how, how do you move those milestones around? Um, and there's really, no, you know, there's there's very few, I think, prog- like educational programs that teach that kind of stuff out there. And that's where you see that, you know, I, I love the demographic of interacting with people who have technical backgrounds or love for, for technology and have learned about it throughout their lives who have now pivoted to doing the business stuff. And this is, this is something I say as well to, um, not to get off topic, but a lot of our inter- internal innovation stuff, working with scientists and Trying to trying to really like digest and, and teach a lot of these basic business lean startup design thinking models is that I look as you can go from being a technical expert to a you know eighty percent business expert pretty quickly can't go the other direction though you know so having that background and passion for the tech first I think is one of the primary you know functions as well of any successful deep tech venture um, is you, you got to have that mission tech. Um, focus and then the you know add the business stuff on top of that and you also mentioned how uh, people that come from a vc capital space they they might not quite understand the the whole mechanics of of building a a tough tech venture or venture that you're going to pursue you know partnership with the federal government how many of the companies that you work with actually have venture funding yeah, so in the like this, we'll, we'll just talk about the accelerators portfolio because those are already established small businesses. The other ones are, you know, maybe pre-seed, looking at the, the SBIR dollars from the government. But across the accelerators, I, I want to say like forty-ish percent. You know, maybe a little bit less than half. Um, and I think part part of the reason for that is is one. I think most venture capitalists just do not understand what that defense market and timeline looks like. One, there's no McKinsey reports on how big the DOD market is for a certain technology application space that you can just Google to put in your pitch deck. Um, number two, that techni- te- the transition plan, again, it's, you know, we, we, we pride ourselves in being able to demystify that and coach people to what that looks like. But I think in general, you're not going to look and say, hey, you, you've successfully proven the government is a billion dollar market, but I don't trust that you can get there, right? Because I just don't understand it. So I think a lot of it is, is um, really just an educational opportunity, which I see a lot of, you know, a lot of organizations popping up to try to align these things. Defense Innovation Unit does a ton of work with venture capitalists to try to partner on stuff. So with going back to how you mentioned that well, with the FedTech and Accelerator, that there is the design thinking and other kind of um, sort of philosophies or methods to be able to help develop and commercialize the technology. Uh, when working with tech, though, there's sometimes a view of like a tech push or a market pull. And with the tech, uh, it can feel like sometimes we've got a really big hammer and we're looking for the awesome nail to hit with that. How do, what's the philosophy of FedTech to help guide these teams in terms of sort of avoiding that sort of mental foreclosure on, we're going to try to go after this one particular problem. um, And when there's a whole wider scope of, uh, of different kinds of problems that they could solve, how do you go through that problem definition scoping process? Yeah, I mean, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, the philosophy of that is, 
Yeah, I'm not 100% sure we've settled on just a straightforward kind of slogan for that. But, um, I mean, f- frankly, we, we through our programs at least, we, we don't let people really think about pursuing advancing technology milestones. You know, we, we take that kind of, the way I think of it is like technical people are going to want to do that naturally. So we're, we're going to try to, to pivot their mind, their mind focus for, through our FedTech programs purely on the business development strategy side. Um, versus, hey, you know, we're going to coach you through how to leverage $120,000 and go from TRL three to four. You know, that's something we actively do not play in because we figure most of our technology founders and, and people are, are they're going to be doing that anyway. <laughs> we don't have to help them with that. I have a question in terms of uh, with the so the equity free access to IP that may be generated from the from the U.S. government or from other sources. What is the the funding engine for FedTech itself? Where does it? I mean, how, how do you get paid ultimately? Yeah, no, great. So it, it's very very diverse funding sources. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it'd be fun for for someone to come audit us. Um, but a lot of times we are assisting the government in their mission. So we run some of the most founder friendly programs. You know, we're, we're funded and partner with a lot of these federal research agencies or the DOD, Department of Energy, because their mission is to, is to make an impact, right? Transition technologies. And they don't ever really do it via entrepreneurship, right? That's the, again, to FedTech sitting at that intersection of entrepreneurship, the government, and, you know, these breakthrough technologies, we can help them in that mission. So none of our programs do we take equity at this point. Um, we, you know, we, we will help, you know, most of the programs come with funding of their own as well for a lot of these companies. So super, super f- founder and entrepreneurial friend- friendly because most of our stuff were funded and partnered with a lot of these big agencies in assisting them in their mission. And what about the, um, for the startup studio, those pieces of IP, like, is there royalties attached to that or are they exclusive licenses? Does, yeah, that's, is, is that's, the government getting a return on their buck for sending the technology out? Yeah, no, I mean that's and that's that's really yeah where they. So the interesting thing too, I mean the government they're not like a university where they're motivated by profit for the most part. Um, you know they want to return an investment obviously on taxpayer dollars. So that's you know they, when they license something they want to have some sort of revenue stream. Um, but it's really up to every lab. Every lab likes to do a little bit differently. Um, some exclusive, some non non exclusive. Um, we, we help a lot in this process, kind of consulting with the start, you know, kind of in between helping make it very smooth. But at the end of the day, that's a conversation with the emerging startup out of the startup studio and the lab itself. Um, but yeah, there's, there's really, there, there's no, um, there's no like, say, here's exactly how it's going to be. There's, it, it's all up to the negotiations between the teams and the, um, and the labs. So, so FedTech's kind of like a startup too. Um, can you... Talk a little bit about, you know, some of the challenges that, that you guys have had, you know, growing FedTech from, you know, tripling in size just the year that you've been there and, yeah. and a little bit about where you plan to go. Yeah, no, that's yeah. I mean, that's that's for me, that's been a super interesting um, experience. You know, frankly, it's it's it's, a, it's something that I love just, you know, being a part of all the business decisions, hiring um I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think you see most publications and people will say, what's the number one problem for startups is hiring. And that's true, you know, because you don't, a lot of times for startups, you don't hire till like after you need that person to have started and be an expert in something. And so it, it's not like a, hey, we're annually, we're going to go recruit 10 people and we'll, we'll figure out where to put them in six months after the fact, like big companies work. So the hiring thing has been interesting, um, you know, working with the federal government ourselves you know, we, we deal with the same problems as our startups, which is a great way to develop empathy for them. I'm a big believer that empathy drives a lot of great educational content decision-making. And so, you know, we deal with contracts that take a long time to get awarded. We deal with having to figure out the contracting vehicle that you're going to need to do the type of services or product that you're proposing. Um, you know, we deal with, you know, trying to approach these large, huge organizations that there is no obvious buyer or customer that we can just say, hey, you know, can we sell you this program? You know, we're doing the long form business development, sales, customer discovery, just like our startups. Um, so we and we, we, we always say we just like to eat our own dog food. <laughs> so anything we do, awesome. we, you know, we do the customer discoveries, the lean startup, you know, experiment, um, pivot if we have to. So, Trinity, you've been there a couple of weeks. What do you think the what do you feel like the culture is at FedTech? 
Honestly, I've been so impressed. Um, this is the first time I've ever had to start a job virtually, as I'm sure a lot of other people are in this boat too. Um, and so I was very nervous about coming on um, onboarding virtually, but it's been amazing. Everybody's really willing to help. And um, I think I was talking with Jonathan earlier that it's really nice to be able to have my hand in so many different pots and kind of be involved in, you know, working with Will, working with the startup studios, working with the accelerators, kind of spread across the organization. So it's been a great experience. How, with the variety of topic areas that FedTech uh, touches on in terms of the, in the venture studio and, and its other forms, how do each of you sort of get smart on any of these given topics? Because there's such a range from, I don't know, underwater radio stuff to probably space satellite things and, and AI everywhere. Um, so how do you how do you do it? What are some some tips that that our, our audience may be able to, to take away for how you get smart on these things? Yeah, no, yeah, awesome, awesome questions. And then um, especially as we grow our team, that's one thing I think we consistently hear from from new hires is like, hey, I'm, how do I how do I learn about like, hey, we're in a cohort with 10 different technologies. How do I help them at all? You know, I don't understand what their tech transition plan is. Um, I mean, I, th I think a few simple rules of thumb, conferences, um, following blogs and websites that are subject matter specific in the day of 2020 in the Internet. There is a blog or web or you know website that writes articles on every single topic under the sun, um, and then you know the the last one I think aside from the normal educational things is our FedTech mentor network has become super super strong. It's one of the things we're most proud of and open call for anyone to go to FedTech.io and you know click one of our portfolios and apply. But we maintain this awesome diverse network of people who are previous entrepreneurs, technical experts ex-government program managers, um, venture capital people, really every kind of slice of the deep tech ecosystem. And that mentor network helps fill in the gaps for us, frankly, a lot of times when it comes to the technical transition pathways. So it's an awesome resource that we've built, um, really proud of, and, and huge kudos again to uh, FedTech was started in 2015, but it's really only been the past year and a half, two years that we've experienced this exponential growth. I mean, a lot of that is due to our founder, Ben Solomon, being the type of guy who's going to go walk out, meet people. You know, he helped found the DC I-Corps program um, and, you know, having that mentor network hub to build upon has been really a blessing for us to, to come and hit the hit the ground running with these new programs. And, and for you, Trinity, as you, you've been getting up to speed on on things, do you sometimes feel like you just kind of open up your head and just pour all that that new knowledge in? <laughs> I was joking that my uh, first week, I just had a long list of acronyms. And every time I learned a new one, I would just write it down. But yeah, I, I, I definitely, as Will said, using every resource available online and asking lots of questions and leaning on the experts. But yeah, lots of learning, steep learning curve. So what are some of the trends that you're seeing right now? Like, where is where is the demand from the government? Are there particular areas that they're very interested in? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, great question. Love this stuff. Um, <laughs> and I'm curious what, what you guys have seen from your perspectives as well as kind of more, maybe a little bit more outsider than even we are at FedTech. But I think the number one from the DOD is this concept of multi-domain operations. So we, we coach all of our companies to write their proposals within the context of that. That's like a doctrine that gets published every 10 years, I think maybe usually on presidential cycles, but um, it, that's, that's what they're marching towards. You know, they, you'll see the army of 2028, the air force of 2028. It's, it's like a 10 year plan that they're, you know, getting off the ground executing here. So that's like the number one topic, I guess, that they're focused on. But in general, it, it's really about non-traditional partners. You know, there is sort of this frustration from the, especially the DOD, but really the whole government that there's, man, it's like, hey, am I not getting the best stuff because I'm just perpetuating like an insider's club? You know, all the, all the big companies that do business with the government, they have 10, 20, 100 person teams that all they think about is the relationship building and figuring out, you know, the regulatory system and the contract vehicles that startups don't have. And so the, it, it's an awesome, awesome time to be alive if you're a deep tech startup in the U.S. because all these government agencies, not just the DOD, the DOE, but even labs like NASA have awesome small business programs that you can work with if your technology applies in their space. And they're only moving to be friendlier and friendlier to people who don't know how to work with government, two-person teams, 
um, people nationally, right? Not just the ones that you don't have to be in a Boston, you don't have to be in an Austin, Texas to access the network. Um, it's a great, you know, kind of democratization of these early tech dollars that 10 years ago, 99.999% would have gone to like the top 20 government contractors, right? Um, so it, I think it's it's an awesome, that's like one of the biggest trends and part of the reason why we at FedTech are growing, right? Because, you know, if the government says they want to do that, a lot of times they need someone to come from that outside perspective and build the pipeline, build these programs to tech, to transition technology because unfortunately giving away money does not always solve the problems. <laughs> uh, worked with a lot of programs who, you know, they started a prize competition or something and then a, a year later they're like, wait, okay, we're... Where's the tech? Why isn't it transitioned? And so they're learning, you know, you need more formal type programmatic stuff, which we, we step in there and build for them. Could either of you speak to the, um, uh, the, the emergence of the U.S. Space Force? And as that fourth branch of the military is starting to sort of come online, um, have you, are noticing a change in either the technologies that are generated for it or the way that acquisitions is occurring since with this fourth branch, um, yeah, it's inspired by maybe like the, the U.S. Air Force kind of carved out of that. But this is an opportunity for the U.S. DOD to get it right in terms of the way that they can can uh, reinterpret some of the sort of contracting and acquisition law. Are you seeing implications yeah. of that? We so they they haven't they haven't published anything aside from a high level doctrine about what the Space Force is going to do. Um, but internally, you do. St- I think that you know you, you're obviously looking at the same sort of stuff I am. But you see, you know, um, great articles come out about hey, you know, the you know the spa- the new Space Force you know commanding general is forcing the team to think more critically about uh, you know let's build an acquisition program from the ground up versus copying something that existed. So I'm pretty pumped. You know, frankly, like I'm, I'm excited to get involved with them, and I think for any sort of space tech type startup, it's going to be awesome <laughs> because there's going to be a lot of dollars spent. A lot of startup-friendly programs, I think, in the next um, year or two. You know, the government has fiscal years, right? And the, the 2021 fiscal year will start here in just one month. So it might be another year till you start to see the major outflows of dollars. But, um, you know, I would encourage everyone. And the, and the other the other the secret I'll share with, with, with you guys here is the government communicates best by social media, which is a very non-intuitive thing that I've stumbled upon. Um, websites a lot of times suck. We're in the 90s. Links don't work. Um, <laughs> but the LinkedIn profiles and the Twitter profiles are super active, talking about funding opportunities and, and days to go talk with people. So, the yeah. So I would, you know, F- follow their LinkedIn. Their Instagram accounts. Yeah, Trinity, I'm sure know, you, you yeah. may have a point of view with your, your background in psychology, communications, and marketing, corporate strategy. Why why is the U.S. government best at communicating on on, on these platforms? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe that's because they know where we all spend our time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, but you no TikTok channel, right? Is that- <laughs> well, I, I have a question. Uh, and, and for each of you... Um, what are the your priorities now? You know, looking over the the next quarter or two, um, what's what's on the on the hot plate that you want to cook? Yeah, I, I I can start. I think the the big one for us is um, you know getting some getting some great wins that we can talk about for full on tech transition, right? You know, everyone talks about stuff like SBIR prize competitions, but it's a long road after that stuff to really transition technology into the full acquisition space is how, is how it's framed within the government. And so for, for us, you know, we're doing a lot of work to develop relationships and, and frankly, just demystify what that process looks like. Because, you know, like we said, for almost the entirety of the government's existence, it's been dominated by the big players. And they obviously, why, you know, why would they demystify it for other people? So um, for me, I think that that's one of our big goals is in uh, a cool success story that I think is coming down the pipeline, um, a company called Vita Inclinata, great company, super smart founding team out of Denver, Colorado. They developed this load stabilization system. So underneath helicopters primarily, you know, if they're holding something that downwash from just the blades will spin whatever's there. You know, it could be a human, could be cargo, whatever, but it, it actually, you know, they did a great job again of measuring that market, defining the problem space, and you know, start engaging with AFWorks over a year ago, now in our XTech accelerator, but they actually have successfully gotten Congress, you know, from a top-down level to set aside funds that could be spent on their technology in the upcoming fiscal year. 
And, you know, we're still, you know, there's still some work to get over the line with kind of coming from the bottom up and meeting them in terms of being able to buy that stuff and sell that stuff. But could be a really phenomenal success story. Um, and everyone, everyone asked me for the reason for it because they had a very obvious life-saving technology that for some reason was not there today. You know, that's, that's not going to be the same story for everybody where, hey, I'm going to go to Congress and that's how it's going to work. And then you don't have to worry about the bureaucracy, but could be a great success story and just driver for more and more programs in the future to prove that these, the AFWorks is the X-Tech searches of the world of the DOD really do work in helping startups engage and transition groundbreaking tech that for some reason the big guys didn't think about. So if you got a clear value proposition, that's the that's the key point to getting Congress to fund it. That, that maybe clear value proposition that has to do with saving human lives or you know something. Yeah. That well, that's like. as clear as it can be, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 If you can measure something like that and you you have an opportunity to save it, um, doesn't get any better. That's the Trinity. What are you, what are your goals? Yeah, I think my biggest goal will be continuing to make sure we are bringing in the best entrepreneurs and building out our recruiting and marketing efforts, um, making sure that we continue to diversify the people that are coming in and get more women um, into the program as well. And do you have a strategy for getting more women involved? I think we'll do some more um, like targeted ads and continue to build relationships, maybe with some local entrepreneurship groups um, that are focused on women and also national groups as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like Jonathan Forrest, what, what's the, what's y'all's perspective on this mythical government beast and enabling the tough tech? Like, do you think they are the solution? You know, like venture capital doesn't want to, pl- doesn't want to play a lot of times. Um, you know, is, is it your kind of hypothesis that the government should be stepping up to be to fill in the gaps for all the deep tech stuff in the U.S.? I don't think they should necessarily be there to fill in, you know, all the gaps, right? I think it it does have to be, you know, aligned with their mission, not just there to create general, you know, technology. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely think it's a great role that that the government can have. I mean, there's definitely things that you can only do with the government, and so those things that you can do with the government that also, you know, will benefit society at large, you know, significantly or, or where I think the focus probably should be. I mean, I, I help out with some of the geology uh, mapping for like Mars 2020. And, you know, when I'm doing that, you know, I'm always thinking about, right, like commercial applications for things. And, and you look at like, you know, Mars planetary science and there, there's not really, right, a commercial market for that back on earth. So there's some things, right, that the, that the government does that, that just has a general benefit for mankind, like knowing where our place is in the universe. And so, um, you know, I think things have to be aligned with that, that, you know, greater good. And I, I yeah, agree. That's and, a, and, Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, it's that, uh, and moreover that, uh, the government's, um, are in a position to a privileged position to be able to, to think that they're going to be around for decades or centuries. Um, and so when you can have that almost like dynasty thinking, that changes the economics to the point that you can almost not necessarily worry about the economics. We can invest in something like a space shuttle program as a government because it's just the dollars are too big and the, the commercial value is just not obvious. And so governments are awesome for doing that. And then we have so sort of these these smaller groups like a like a DARPA that can sort of look for like well these are really frontier areas that frontier areas and we got to invest in the cool people doing that. Where the yeah. other other form of non-governmental risk capital comes in, venture capital being you know one one part of that is what can help keep things more grounded in my opinion, sort of connected to the market and the the sensitivities of the humans that are ultimately going to have to to use or you know, invest themselves into to building these kinds of products, companies, technologies, and so there's absolutely a, a, a lot of room for everybody involved. The government can best to provide the the big thinking, the big missions, and occasional support where where the private sector is like, yeah, we're, we're we want to think on like you know three to five year timelines mm-hmm. max, right? Um, yeah. So that's that's how I can see where things can. It's a dance, but they can work together. Yeah, that's. I think that's that's fascinating. You made me think about two other think maybe you know societal trends, even globally, that 
I would hope would kind of line up with this kind of, hey, maybe more people focus on these, like Forrest was saying, the mission-driven applications versus I want to get super rich. Um, you know, I think, you know, you see even the, the publicly traded markets, right, and investors start to ask more questions about the sustainability of the company, your, your, your impact to people versus just returns, right? You know, like even having indices for, um, you know, the, the, how much your CEO is making versus the lowest paid person. Um, I would like to think that that trend will I- inspire a lot of people to say, hey, I'm not just going to start a business to get filthy rich you know, be Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos rich. I want to, like, I'll live comfortably, but I want to make this huge impact to my people and to the world. Um, and, and and I think that was the that was the other trend I was going to mention is just sort of this kind of a lot of, I think, the U.S., especially the wealth disparity and the, the, you know, frustration with individuals making such a, you know, ridiculous sums of money, you know, because they, they follow this traditional market, you know, only market-driven path versus mission impact um, thing. So hopefully, hopefully kind of the government incentives and in forward thinking will align with kind of the societal, like just people's trends and, you know, inspire a nice kind of growth spurt of businesses that are founded more around the impact versus, hey, I'm going to get super rich. Yeah, uh, yeah, great, great point. Um, for each of you guys, we, we kind of come to, to the end of this show. Uh, I'm going to give you each a position to, to so any any final comments or um, advice or takeaways for for our audience members? Trinity, I'll let you go first. Well, I'm just going to do a big plug. Um, please apply. Our applications are live for our startup studios in the fall. So if you have a technical background, if you are interested in any of the things we talked about, please apply for our programming. Um, we're also, we always have an open call for mentors as well. So if that's something you'd be interested in, uh, please check out our website. Love it. Yeah, thanks. Great. I, pl- I love pl- it's like being on the uh, like the Jimmy Fallon show. You know, you end and you're like, here's my movie coming up. Go watch my movie. Check the movie. Yeah, I think I think the one the one thing, you know, I'll just leave with is that, you know, we we, we want to empower as many people as possible to make an impact in the world. And we believe that technology is one of the best ways to do that. So even if you're not confident that you're a tech person, confident that you belong in the, you know, don't, don't worry about the imposter syndrome. We pride ourselves in building our programs to empower anybody to have this impact and we'll bring the technology to the table for a lot of it. So um, I'll leave with that. And again, you know, from Trinity Psych, please go to our website, fedtech.io, sign up to be a mentor. We host tons of big conference style events and pitch days that are probably interesting to a lot of this community as well. Um, so, so yeah, you know, happy. Thanks for having us on. The podcast here, proud to be a part of this tough, deep tech ecosystem. Um, and, you know, we're trying our best to help out. Great. Well, thank you very much, Will. Thank you, Trinity. We appreciate having you on this episode of Tough Tech Today. And hopefully we'll catch you again uh, on a later episode. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in for this episode. Feel free to send suggestions, comments, or things you didn't understand to us. We're really happy to talk with you, and we appreciate all your feedback. Our next episode is with Oren Hoffman, a venture partner at MIT's The Engine, an investment group that's focused on frontier technologies. We're really excited to have him on the show. So to stay posted when we release the new episode, sign up, like, subscribe, and then we'll see you on the next show. Stay tough.